0: Good day my lovely listeners, you are listening to the Forty Oughty Podcast. Tune in every week to explore inspiring stories and insightful information that dive headfirst into the world of autism and mental health. With all those tantalising tongue twisters out of the way, let's get into the show. Hello all you orties out there, welcome back to the 40 Autie Podcast with your host Mr Thomas Henley from the Asperger's Grove Channel. How are you doing today? It is, well it was sunny and now it's very grey outside in the uh, town of North Yorkshire, if it is a town, if you could call it a town. Today we're going to be talking about something that I think is probably one of the most talked about things, or at least... The thing that people ask the most questions about. And that's improving your social skills, making friends, making relationships on the autistic spectrum. It's a very difficult thing to do. And and I can attest to this I've not always been the social butterfly that I am now. And I took a journey for about two or three years to sort of get where I am today, writing about it, working on things learning about psychology learning about social interaction and here I am today and um, we have another person who is also a very very social butterfly that doesn't make any sense adam how are you doing doing very well how are you i'm all right not too bad bit of a slow <laughs> day today um, yeah I had to go, go get myself um, get myself out of bed today it was it was a bit of a bit of a tough time i wasn't budging
1: Coffee usually solves that solution, uh, that that problem for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, but that but then it also brings up the issue of of getting downstairs as well because that's something that's not gonna not gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> for me. It needs to be right on my desk, mm. ready to ready to be drunk in the morning. But then of course it'll be cold by then, so it's a bit tough.
1: You need a thermos <laughs> and someone to make your coffee for you.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, I could could do that. I could order myself a a personal barista and (laughs) get it sent to me Mm. by the postman.
1: (laughs) I'm off the clock at the moment.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course. Well, following with that, would you like to give everybody a little introduction into who you are and what you do? Sure. So uh,
1: my name is Adam Mohammed. I'm 22 years old, birthday next week. And uh, I graduated the University of Manchester the same year as Tom. And since graduating last year, I have essentially been a man of two careers. So on one side of things, I am a cocktail and champagne bartender. And with the territory of serving um, people their champagne lunches, I'm also a fully trained barista. And the other half of that, actually using the degree that I spent four years to you uh, to, to earn, uh, <laughs> I currently work for a company called EM Analytical, and I'm developing coronavirus testing kits.
0: Very cool. That is a very good introduction. As you can probably tell, everyone out there, Adam is a very well worked man. He's, um, I think, in uh, just after uni, you got that bartending job, didn't you? Straight yeah, straight so- into it.
1: I think I, so with the past two jobs that I've had being champagne bartending and coronavirus testing kit maker, um, both of those jobs had the exact same introduction with, the uh, the bar that I worked for was, I, I was hired on the opening, which was a very chaotic mm-hmm. environment because no one had worked at that bar before because it was originally open. And same thing with coronavirus. Um, no one expected to need to make hundreds of thousands of testing kits so both of those environments led themselves to a very hectic environment but mm. yeah the, the bar job yeah. was July
0: well um i think basically i i thought that you would be the best person to um to talk about social skills and stuff because we think throughout the university experience or at least for the last year of university, we were quite the um, um, the party team, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, so uh, you, me and Jack, uh, w- w- we tore up fourth year. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, barely a weekend went by without us going out somewhere on some crazy adventure.
0: Indeed. And um, I think you and Jack were sort of more... When did you meet Jack? Was it sort of the first, second year or something? Jack and
1: I met in first year because we both did biochemistry and we kind of spotted each other around lectures. Um, but then we properly became friends, I'd say about the beginning of second year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then he went and he, he went and did a year abroad in Sweden during third year, kept in very good contact. Um, myself and a few friends actually went to Sweden that year to go visit him. And then we became housemates in fourth year.
0: Yeah. Well, it was, it was a very interesting time at university. It's, it's, I've never experienced um, that sort of group mentality. I've always been sort of the quiet, I wouldn't say lone wolf because that sounds a little <laughs> bit grandiose, but I've always been the quiet one on his own, mm. um, sort of dipping in and out of social groups. And the group that we had with sort of Jack and and you and, and some of the other housemates was probably one of, one of the first um, groups that I actually felt sort of involved with it wasn't really sure there'd be there'd been times in my sort of secondary school and primary school where i've been a part of groups but i'd never felt um a particular affiliation with them if that made sense
1: okay so with what you said earlier about your um social butterfly status being about two or three years old was that when you mm. started really developing your social skills
0: yeah well it's I'd never really paid much attention to it, because I, I went through the entirety of um, secondary school, at least the sort of tail end of it, um, studying mm-hmm. um, and and working at stuff, and, and also doing the taekwondo, so I, I'd never really had much opportunity to leave any energy to work on my social skills. Okay. Um, it's only when I had a little bit of a dip in my in my second year where... Um I didn't really have as as much energy to study, and that I started to sort of research it you know look at YouTube videos on improving your charisma and and all that kind of stuff and basically just taking apart conversations that I've had or thoughts that I've had about how I may be perceiving things differently okay. and trying to use that to improve my social skills it was a quite a um a long and a long and and very much a trial and error process yeah definitely
1: because I think for me it was a very similar journey but maybe shifted back because I think when I first started to take an upturn in my social life was I think last year of sixth form so I might have only been like a year off from you
0: Mm -hmm. so you started at at the tail end of sixth form that's when you started to get involved with social groups.
1: Yeah, year 13 was uh so it was the year that I had my first girlfriend, I turned 18, um started actually going to house parties uh because everyone else was turning 18. I never had that um you know um four, 15th birthday party where you know you try and sneak one of your dad's beers and pretend to be a baller. Um so I think I only started partying when I was allowed to drink. <laughs>
0: Yes. I think that that's something that we share. With mm. that I was I was very much in tune with with sort of what I should and shouldn't do and and I thought, you know, I'm going to wait until I'm 18 to mm. get involved in something because that seems to be the smartest way to go.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but I was never never sort of went to proper parties before sort of the mm. 18 came around. I went to a few sort of garden parties which we're a bit sort of light and you know more of kind of a a chat um, hmm. than a party party. But my eighteenth, I had a party party and sort of had out a venue and stuff. And oh, nice! Um, yeah, well, it's, it was a very sort of scattered party because there was a lot <laughs> of sort of people from different groups that I was friends with, and then they sort of brought a few of their friends, and then you know it's there's sort of like little bubbles around the venue that people were gathering in
1: mm-hmm. navigating the social circles that's uh that's one of the things that we learned from parting in fourth year is how to yes. move between groups
0: mm. yeah it's a difficult one <laughs> especially if you don't have a lot of experience and i think just sort of making your way into any sort of social c- circle is is quite difficult um, mm. i think i think Shall we talk a little bit about the documentary before we get into sort of um, your experiences with autism and stuff? Yeah, of course. So, yeah, just, just for any listeners out there, we we did meet in our time at university. Uh, we both did a life sciences-like degree. So I did biomedical sciences and uh, what did you do, Adam? It was biochemistry, bio, biochemistry of course. And, uh, yeah, Adam and Jack were... Basically, two two of my closest friends in fourth year. We sort of, we we did a lot of things in the day and then and the night and all that kind of stuff. At uh, one night, I think one particular night, I think we were doing some board game house party or or something like that. And
1: ah uh, yes, uh, the Game of Thrones risk evenings. Yes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you t- you took me to a side and you, you you told me about you being autistic and stuff and. I think there was sort of a funny revelation that I had because I I was—I always—I thought that there was something a little bit different about you, but I wasn't fully able to put my finger on it.
1: Jack actually made the exact same assessment.
0: Yes, yeah. So I think um, it was—it was quite nice for me to hear it coming from um, someone who's obviously worked on their social skills as well, because most of the people that I. Meet that are autistic aren't necessarily the um, the most social people, or at least they don't sort of get involved in the sort of party aspects of university.
1: Yeah, I believe the the exact nature of the um, of the evening. So I think it was uh, you, me, and Jack, and then Phoebe, Helena, and Katie. Um, yes, we're we're all playing the board game, and I think because at the time you you had also you, you'd started becoming. Uh, outspoken about the fact that you're autistic. Like I'm fairly certain you were, you started to begin raising awareness um, and actually making that an active part of your life. And then I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, well, you know, this is a guy who's clearly quite conf- confident and open about these kinds of things. So I think one, that was just the evening where I decided, yeah, screw it, I'll tell him.
2: Because
1: hmm. I think I'd become so used to being an autistic that no one noticed the idea of telling someone was almost a spontaneous decision because it's an aspect of myself that i'd almost let myself ignore
0: yes i think maybe it was like a month or two after um i i decided to sort of um submit my proposal for the for the documentary to the to the university mm-hmm. and i got in contact with a few people from around uni um a few support staff someone from um, who shot the B- the BBC man, BBC Radio Manchester video, mm-hmm. and I asked you whether you would like to be a part of it, and you said yes, of course. And I I thought that because obviously there is a lot of contrasting personalities and opinions in the autistic community and and in any community. Mm-hmm. I think your sort of your views and your mentality and experiences were very very well in contrast with some of the other experiences that people were talking about. Mm. I thought I thought you made quite I thought you made quite a um a statement in it.
1: <laughs> One thing that I was uh, picking up on with the flow of the documentary is um most of the other guests were talking about overcoming the struggles, the trials, the tribulations of being autistic, things like struggling with school and then I remember just watching myself on television essentially, because we have YouTube on the television, um, just mm. laid back, being like, oh yeah, being autistic's great. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I think I'm very much sort of in the middle, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, I'm not overly keen about making autism a uh, sort of like a superpower in the public <laughs> eye. Yeah. But I also have a lot of experiences with the, the sort of negative aspects being autistic. Mm. But I, I, thought, I thought that Sort of your inclusion into the documentary made it more realistic, I guess. Didn't you, you didn't just like say all of the things that you th- you think you should have said? It's mm. it's more like your your opinion, and that was, I think, what was so sort of catching by your interviews. Yeah. But what was the the filming process like? You like have you ever talked about being autistic in public?
1: Um, I believe. Talking with you and Jack uh, at my house was the first time that I'd spoken about being autistic publicly in at least a few years. I think one of the times that I remember telling anyone else was I believe when I was in year 12, so lower lower sixth form. Mm-hmm. So essentially my, my experience with help with being autistic Not to jump the question format or anything, but um, the way that autism was handled at my secondary school, the help was available, but no one ever came to you. You had to go and seek the help. So if you wanted help, it was available. But if you didn't want help, you didn't have to have someone pulling you out of lessons. And from that, I knew how many autistics there were in my school, because when we started secondary school, they put us all in a room and were like, hi, these are the services available to you. Take them or leave them. Mm -hmm. And so one of my friends was talking about his mum who worked with autistics. And uh, my friend in sixth form was like, oh, I've never actually met an autistic. And I said to him, well, I'm one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And what was his response?
1: His response was, oh, really? (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Um, And and that was probably a a learning curve for him to realise that autistics can just go under the radar like that. Yeah. Another time that I spoke about it was so I was diagnosed at the age of three years old, but my yes, parents and that
0: incredibly young.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I was one of the lucky ones that was caught early, and um, I told you in the documentary that they actually thought that I had a hearing issue.
0: Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's very common, I think.
1: Mm. So I was diagnosed at three, but obviously um, my mind wasn't fully formed at the time. So my parents actually sat me down at the age of ten. And explains to me that I was autistic. Mm -hmm. So those are the three times in my life where I can specifically remember talking about being autistic. Well, I guess now would be the fourth time.
0: Yes. And um, (laughs) And the documentary. I think as of... Yeah.
1: (laughs) Five times total.
0: You have, indeed. And it's going to be going out on a a podcast. And it's going to be... I think the documentary has got about... I think about 4,000 views last time that I checked it. Mm -hmm. Which is amazing which is awesome um it's way it's blowing out the water pretty much every other one of my videos that i put up on youtube yeah and yeah like like how do you feel about that how do you feel about the possibility of it being sort of a mainstream thing
1: um i think i'm fairly comfortable with the idea yeah yeah um it's something that i've almost hidden for a long time because i made the the necessary developments in my social skills and then once I was comfortable with the my social abilities, I almost just wrote it off as like, oh right, don't have to think about that ever again. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I like that it's come up again because I I don't want to pretend to be a hero, but I would uh, quite like the idea of any of the four thousand people that watched the documentary gaining something out of my input.
0: Yes, I think that's that's something that every single interviewee shared. Like I think it's something that is important. It's important to give people an idea mm. of what Asperger's is, or ASD one, if you if you want to call that now. Mm. And also, I think we have a very large shortage of sort of role models and stuff for yeah. autistic people. A lot of the sort of stuff that's put out by any sort of media head um, is is generally about sort of the more um low functioning side of the spectrum so people who have a lot of impairments that make it so that they need sort of 24-hour support or a heavy amount of support and they don't really see they don't really see the other side to it i guess mm. the more the more high functioning side
1: that was actually uh, my first ever introduction to autism was at the age of 5 uh one of my friends in school one of their cousins was um Severely autistic and needed 24-hour care. Mm -hmm. And then I think part of why I repressed telling anyone that I was autistic was because of that association. Um, I didn't want anyone thinking that I needed 24-hour care. Yeah, Um, Which, you know, it's a bad thought because there's nothing wrong with that. It was a preconceived notion that I had where I didn't want to be part of the group.
0: Yeah. You didn't want to sort of be associated in that way.
1: Yeah, I was very much trying to avoid judgment Mm -hmm. by having it be something that was well known. But I think the reason that I'm comfortable talking about it now is because I've essentially finished. Well, no one's ever finished learning, but (laughs) but I've completed the majority of my social and um, academic training. So as a now a fully formed adult that can hold relationships, make friends in any circumstance and have two careers. I'm now confident in people knowing that I'm autistic because they know that I can do all those other things.
0: Yeah. There is a lot of times sort of a preconceived notion that autistic people should be a certain way.
2: Mm.
0: I mean, the typical sort of signs of autism, a lot of, I mean, in in the triad of impairments, two of those are linked to sort of being able to communicate and make friends and and form communication Communicative relationships. Mm. So I think that sort of overarching idea of what autism is makes people like myself and you quite a spectacle for people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. like I think <laughs> I think it's it's always something that people are shocked about.
2: Yeah.
0: If if I if I tell people that I am, and I do I do do it a lot, but only if it comes up in in conversation. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not gonna just throw it in there it's it's got to come up in conversation when it does there's never been a time where it's put someone off talking to me which I'm quite pleased about
1: That's very reassuring
0: it is it is but I think it's all it's all the way that you do it yeah if you have those social skills to be able to communicate what you mean and the subtle nuances that then it's easier for people to develop a sort of a connection with you on the instant and see your telling them that they're that you're autistic Mm. as more of a interest rather than a statement that they should treat you this way or, or or do any of that kind of stuff
1: yeah i think part of the reason why i never told anyone was because i never told anyone in the first place so i didn't know what reaction to expect and because i didn't know what reaction to expect i never told anyone so breaking that cycle was part of what ended me up on this podcast
0: Indeed, breaking out of it, yeah, and I am very happy to have you on today so yeah we we are talking about building social skills today, and yes. it is something that a lot of people struggle with, and of course we have a lot of sort of commonalities in the in the social arena, but what was the process of working on your social skills like for you? Would you say that it was a lot of work independently, or did you get a lot of help with it?
1: Um, I would say that um, most autistics tend to tend towards doing things themselves. The majority of the time, um, well, I'd say let's explain it like this. Um, I would separate it into three phases: primary school, secondary school, and university. Primary school. I um, I went to primary school with the teachers knowing that I was autistic um, because my diagnosis was that early. So I was put in a weekly group where we did social activities. This was things like spin a plate and then whoever picks it up first says something about themselves. Yeah, Things like that. Group, group activities, which I'm not going to lie. I absolutely hated. Uh, <laughs> spent, my <laughs> <Sounds> in, <laughs> awful. spent my entire time in primary school complaining about it to my mum. Yeah. <laughs> and... Here's the thing, because this was between the ages of three and 10. So my parents hadn't told me I was autistic. And I was going to these weekly sessions dealing with kids that I didn't like in different years to me. And all I wanted to do was get out there and play with my train set. Um, (laughs) So I spent that span of time hating all the help that I was getting. Um, But to be honest, looking back on it, there was a lot that was helpful one of the techniques that I remember and many autistics have been given this is you get given a sheet of paper with cartoon faces on it and you have Social to stories. yeah. And you have to write down the emotion that you think each face represents. And then you hand it back, you get told which ones run right and wrong and then you learn that way. Mm-hmm. So learning nonverbal communication was one of my really, really big uh, aspects. Um, then secondary school, As I mentioned earlier, I was introduced to secondary school, got plonked in a room with all the other autistics, and was told, here's the help, take it or leave it. And I took none of the help. I actively avoided going anywhere near that building, partly to repress uh, anyone knowing that I was autistic, uh, partly to actually get out on my own and start developing social skills in the field, as it were. And then... Mm Secondary school being a seven-year process, uh, I, I made a group of friends. One of them was from my primary school. We moved to the same secondary school. Um, and I, I built myself a nice little network of friends and then finally started going out, partying in sixth form. And then university was a complete reshift because university's is three or four years and everyone does something different throughout uh, each year, uh, as you all know mm-hmm. from doing a year abroad. Yes. so. I did an integrated master's where I spent all four years in Manchester, so I actually benefited from staying in Manchester for the all, for all four years, because some people did three years, then graduated, some people did uh, two years, a year in industry, then came back in fourth year, uh, some people staggered their degrees and took some time off, so I think part of what helped me in that area was that I stayed in the same place for four years, so I could... Essentially, you watch people come and go, whilst yeah. my life didn't necessarily change all that much. So creating an environment of stability and then operating outwards was what helped me at university.
0: That's brilliant. Well, let's. Um, in terms of primary school for me, mm-hmm. I didn't know that I was autistic until I was about 10 years old.
1: Is that when you had the diagnosis?
0: Yeah, it was, actually. Okay. I was told told then as well, so... We were both told at the age of ten, but um, prior to that, I wasn't given any support for it because obviously it wasn't something that wasn't something that they knew about, so they couldn't really give me any sort of social training or, or treatment or or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. I never really went to any sort of formal things that would help me with my social skills. Okay, it was all as you said, you know, sort of getting into secondary school a place that you can go to, you know, like we we had this thing called the bridge, um, which basically is, is a place for people to, to go to like who have special needs and, and anything like that. But it's also a place that very emotional and difficult people go to as well. Yeah. And that was basically for me, just a, a safe haven. So I, I had this little corner, you know, with I think three or four, Comfy chairs that I could just sit in and mm. you know pull a coat over my head just to chill out if I was was finding my uh, time at school a little bit hard. Okay. But not, none of the none of the actual sort of help or um, support really came in on the autism side of things. It was more sort of mental health at that age for me.
2: Okay.
0: But yeah, I was. I was definitely put out in the world. Like, my mum my made a lot of efforts to get me outdoors and, and to different social groups, you know, like the typical cubs and beavers and all of that, you know, the <laughs> um, scouts. <laughs> did all of that kind of stuff, did a lot of sports, went to different clubs and all of that kind of stuff. I was a very sociable child, but I was never given that sort of social instruction. Okay, And the only place that I was given it was when I asked my parents about it, when I asked my mum about it. Um, that's when I start. I made adjustments to how I communicated, but it wasn't to the degree, you know, like someone hands you a sheet of paper and asks you to discern what emotion this person is feeling. It was never sort of formal training, if that makes sense.
1: Oh, right, yeah, because I, I was essentially given pieces of paper to learn how to... Uh, socially communicate, which honestly was probably the best method for me at the time. Um, mm. So, would you say that you and I have almost had opposite, like, experiences? Because I had all the help available to me and hated taking it, whereas you uh, didn't uh, didn't have as much support.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think yeah, I, I think you could say that. Mm. I don't know if I if if I was in sort of your situation that I would want it as well. Mm. Like, like, I. It's difficult because I think because we are so um, tend to be so strong minded and opinionated, it can be mm. difficult for people to um, to feel respected by people. And we need. I found that I need to feel some level of respect from the person who's helping me yeah. in order for me to take it on, or else it's just like some asshole that's preaching at you.
1: That's what <laughs> it felt like. Yeah,
0: in the mental health side of things, it did. So mm. I can imagine. That it would be something similar, but we did both get that both get told at ten years old. Mm. So it's at least we have we have that commonality.
1: The difference being, uh, I was just catching up with everyone else's information, whereas in yours it was everyone finding out at the same time.
0: Yeah, mm. yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah, there the were always parts of me that were very autistic when I was a kid. You know, in terms of sort of spinning around in the spot and all that. Um, I love doing that. in terms of the actual point at which i started to work on my social skills it was it was very much me sort of sat in my bedroom watching videos on sort of charisma and body language and facial expressions and writing about it and trying to make sort of make sure that i action those in the world and see what happens sort of like a trial and error process and when something went wrong or I felt a bit uneasy about a situation, then I would go back to the drawing board. Okay. Write about the experience and try and sort of dissect what went wrong. It was a very labor-intensive process. Yeah. It was, I think, I after about a year of doing that, I think I was at the point where I had enough confidence to go out and make friendships. But, yeah. And that was sort of during during Thailand and that, that that environment in thailand was very um social heavy you know we were living in the same house we were the, the only british red, residents for miles um so it was it was an in, interesting it was quite intense at points because i was so used to sort of being on my own but after a while i sort i felt a lot more comfortable i think i'd learnt a lot more about myself after you know, be it being in that social arena. Mm. Obviously, there are things that I had to iron out, and I still think that I've got some things to work on. But in general, as you've said, um, I feel like I can develop relationships and, and friendships to a good enough degree now that I that I that it wouldn't be much of a problem for me.
1: Yeah. Would you say that in your uh progression. Which was the more important factor? Was it learning about other people or learning about yourself?
0: I think that they're both important. Mm. I think the crossover between myself and other people was where the 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 useful stuff came. It was it was more of like, okay, right, let me look at mine my perspective. These are the things that could be wrong. These are the things that could, could be right and I want to keep in myself. And then analyze people's reactions and say, you know, sort of make sure that I've got enough data uh, to go by, um, so that I know that what I'm doing is is wrong or right. And then sort of blending it in and and trying to find a middle ground between those those pieces. Yeah, it's a, it's it is it is a very difficult thing. I think nowadays I'm more into the the realm of trying to figure out what my values and important opinions are so that I can um, construct myself the way that I want to. Mm. It's like I sort of built myself a new person and then jumped into it.
1: Okay, you're like a Iron Man suit. <laughs>
0: yeah, a social Iron Man suit, that's what it was for me. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I did feel a bit awkward and a bit weird for a while, jumping into that suit, but... Mm. No, there was something that I said that it's something that I heard was like "fake it till you make it," and <laughs> that's basically what I did. But I think I think it's all, it's always important to because the the real sort of masters in um, fitting in and and doing it naturally um, or at least convincingly are girls. Like girls are a lot a lot better to um, copy. Facial expressions and and things like that. So it's it's a bit weird because from from a guy's perspective, it's usually it's generally we're quite quiet, quite sort of confident and direct, and very mission orientated.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> with girls, it's like it's more of they go through secondary school and 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 the school system and at work, feeling sort of not not themselves sort of constructing this personality that isn't themselves yeah and that can be quite uncomfortable for them so there, there are some like differences between the genders that i've, I've found
1: mm. one thing particularly with a uh, university the first thing that i learned with regards to because with freshers week um wh- what would you say was your experience with freshers week because for me I didn't like the idea of going out every single night and running around with people that I didn't know, not having a conversation with anyone because you always always went to clubs. And ladies were actually the best people to learn from because, A, they dance way better than guys, and, B, they always um, move in groups. Um, they always make sure mm-hmm. someone's got a lift home. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like, so how would you find... F- Was your Freshers' Week experience with with women being the the senseis?
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, most of the um, my friends up until that point, or at least most of my good friends, were female. Mm. Um, So I I definitely found myself um, going to like the clubs and stuff with other females. Like it was just it wasn't like a a thing where I I wanted to, you know go out on the on the game or or anything like that it was just i wanted to go out and dance and i felt most comfortable around girls i think because i I do get what you mean they they do tend to be more group orientated whereas with guys they can just disappear
1: (laughs) yeah i mean a guy will happily get himself home from a club and he'll also happily jump headfirst into a group of women like it's yes, <laughs> and that was one thing that definitely turned me off the idea of being one of those guys that goes clubbing like that, yeah, is it just it just seemed a tad mindless
0: well mm. it just I don't know it just uh, it, it never got me as something that I wanted to do, mm. um I wasn't big into the the sort of you know make a show kind of thing, and then like it was more. I, I want to go out and have a good experience with people that I like and hopefully build connections with them. That was my sort of mentality during those times. Yeah, so... But then that, obviously...
1: Sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, so that's probably like the, the way... Like, we spent the majority of fourth year being uh, social butterflies in a very new group, but the way we were partying, it wasn't... Clubs usually it was music events, it was house parties, it was yes. environments where you can actually talk to people.
0: hmm Yeah, and I've I found that to be more enjoyable. I don't like that sort of awkwardness where you want to talk to somebody and sort of get to know them, but you can't because you you the music's too loud and mm. there's too many people around and you know, it's it's a difficult one, isn't it?
1: That's, that's what actually confuses me about clubbing and whenever people go to clubs to pull. And it's like, well, how do you do that? Like, you, you can barely get a word in. And whenever it comes to whenever I do go to a club, um, I'll go in, I'll dance, and then I'll usually spend a fair bit of time either in the smoking area or the bar so that I can get, you know, <laughs> some personal space respite. and some some breathing area.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I feel the same. I think that there was there was a key moment where we went to this sort of house party and we weren't expecting it to be so absolutely packed mm. and crazy. So I, I I think I went up to you and said, Adam, are you all right? Because I want to go sun in the kitchen. You were like, Yep, let's go to the kitchen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something we would do, though.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think, I think we're, we, we both wanted a little bit of break from all the shoulder barging and pushing and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, sh- sh- that's one of the things that really turns me off about clubs is even if you are in a nice circle with people that you like and, you've got, and there's a song that you enjoy, there's always either some drunk guy barging past you because he's busting to go to the toilet or a bouncer hovering or someone trying to sell you a shot for a fiver
2: or...
1: <laughs>
0: It's um. It's not a very. I, I didn't find a lot of utility in in going out. I think it's just. I like to go places where I like the music, but I'd only go there to dance and have and have the music. Mm. Like it was, it's not really a sort of. I, I wouldn't go there with people that I wanted to get to know better. Yeah, it would, it would be with people that I already knew very well. Mm. In order for me to sort of feel comfortable going out to. Because it, it's a different social environment, isn't it? Yeah. The rules that apply in sort of like the party atmosphere are completely different to sort of a one-on-one conversation or three mm. people or, you know, go, going up to, you know, you know, people chilling on like the grass or something. Like, it's very different. And I think a lot of autistic people find social situations quite sort of terrifying, mm. especially if they haven't, been in those situations before because there isn't sort of a standard social rule for every situation Mm. and that's what's difficult to sort of work out I think a lot of the 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 sort of the growing aspects for me were getting good in a certain social environment like a sports club transferring it to a different one like a like a house party or Mm. a chat over a coffee like there's uh, the whole social arena is completely different in that respect
2: mm.
0: and we do have a big problem with isolation and loneliness in the autistic community it's something that i've seen a lot on my youtube channel a lot of people messaging and, and telling me that they, they just really don't know where to start mm. so what do you recommend to those people like what, what do you think they should start doing to improving their social skills?
1: Um, for a start, so this is advice that I would give to autistic people and or non, non-autistic people, is when you're making friends on the small scale, it should be based on something you enjoy. Um, mm. As you said, with like hanging out with someone one-on-one, uh, over a coffee, uh, in a park in the sun you only enjoy those kinds of things when it's with a person that you really, really like. And most people tend to have, most people with that kind of relationship tend to have common interests, such as uh, you and me, we would happily talk for hours and hours. I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, But you and I have plenty of common interests um, such as mental health, such as science, um, such as music, uh, martial arts. And, I'd say my advice for an autistic person that's looking to branch out and develop their social skills is um, firstly, figure out what you're interested in. If you're interested in music, art, um, books, film, whatever it is, um, and then find an environment where you can meet a person that shares one of those interests. And then I'd say work at it friendship by friendship. And then, a few years down the line, you'll be at house parties be in the life of life of the environment
0: mm. I think that that's always a good place to start somewhere mm. that where the the topic of of conversation is common. Mm. so I found that sports clubs and stuff are the best for me because it gives me a chance to you know you've you've got sort of a set sheet of things that you can ask you know. Mm. it's It's a lot less um sort of out in the open. It's not like you're walking up to someone and just saying hi and trying to start a conversation. It's Mm. they're there to do something that they're interested in, and you also find that interesting.
1: Yeah. So say, hypothetically, you were at a a Taekwondo training session and Mm. an autistic person, say, was in their first few sessions. um, It's a lot smoother of a way to initiate a conversation. To say... uh, teach them how to hold their form correctly or how to pivot their hips when throwing a kick or something like that. It's a lot more natural to start a conversation that way than say going in into an environment that you don't know with people that you don't know with no common interest, because that is Mm -hmm. when the task of meeting new people and improving social skills seems like such a daunting task, especially when you're at the beginning of your progression.
0: Yeah. I think one, one thing that is quite important that I suppose, one thing that I I struggled with is graded intimacy. So like, okay. I found that the the best way to sort of get get into a place where you can make friends is by sort of making those those initial sort of boring, um, you know, questions around who they are and and what they do and stuff like that. But also just throwing comments out there, just making sure that. People know that you're you're there, Uh, rather than just going full front and saying, "Hey, do you want to be friends? Do you want to come to this and this and this and this?" (laughs) Yeah, I think you've got to you've got to always err on the side of placing relaxation Mm. at at the the most important thing, and failing um, being able to talk to people. Just focus on what you're there to do, and if an opportunity arises that you can have a little bit of a conversation with someone, then take that opportunity and then leave it a little bit and then take it again and and chat to people and you can get to know people. And then, as you said, at some point, you'll get invitations to do stuff. And mm. I think that and just learning to chill out and relax and not putting too many expectations on yourself for the yeah. first instant mm. is important. I think Exposing one of- yourself...
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that would help with that is uh, what you said earlier about um, learning who you are and understanding yourself because one thing that takes the pressure off of making friends is being completely happy with yourself Um, Mm. because one thing that uh, plenty of autistics have is enjoying time by themselves. Um, I think many of us would happily kill a whole day doing just one task. Uh, I think the last weekend I had is just spent the whole day in the sun reading a book. Mm-hmm. So I think being happy with yourself and knowing who you are is uh, a good grounding point to not be let down. If someone doesn't reciprocate your friendship.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think definitely there is um, a lot of feelings of, of let down and, re- and rejection, I guess mm. with autistic people first, first trying to make attempts to make friends and, and all of that, I think. Yeah, d- definitely erring on the side of taking it slow. Mm. And you know, if if you have a bad bad conversation with someone, and you don't really feel like they they get you or, or anything. Then go to, go talk to someone else, or mm. go put yourself in a space where there are other people, um, other than that person, and see if you you, you have any connection with those. Mm. Right. I think also. I think as a good starting point if you really if they're really struggling is to try and find some groups that are made and run by autistic people
1: like
0: Mm. that is a good commonality between people it's it's easy to talk about yeah experiences with autism because it's obviously so ingrained in you and it's it's something that not everybody has and it's it's a very minority of people so having some other people to support you in your journey of improving your social skills is is quite important, I think.
1: Okay. Cause I have never been to any autistic uh, gatherings um, Mm -hmm. as an adult. Have you encountered that and felt that it was really beneficial for you?
0: I've never really gone to any of those groups. It's always been uh, Taekwondo classes that, that really sort of introduced me to socializing with people. Okay. but i think that if if i did have that um opportunity to have a, a community of people around me that were autistic or at least you know like a small group mm. it would help a lot with that those times where you, you just feel a little bit like an alien and you're not really sure what to do and feel sad and a bit lonely like i think now that i have sort of networked on social media sites and Got in contact with other autistic people it makes it makes things a little bit easier because i've always got someone to go to who understands me completely or at okay. least understands me to a large degree and I think I would have liked that if you know if there was one at university at the time
1: yeah because yeah, going to a support group um, that's that's one of those things that would have never naturally occurred to me being a headstrong individual, I always had the idea of um figuring it out myself but i'm glad that you mentioned that because i would have happily just forgotten to mention that support groups exist
0: i think it's it's never a bad shout to go along to them you have to mm. realize that there will be people there who also don't have like very good social skills so you have to be you have you have to think think of it in a test it testing the waters kind of thing it's just like any other social arena it's just that you've got something that you've really talk about and obviously within support groups you have a chance to introduce yourself Mm. and i think those that sort of structure to it can be quite helpful reading reading about social skills and 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 sort of researching it have been quite beneficial for me and especially writing about my experiences with myself and people and i guess that there is to some extent a line where I've learned as much as I feel like I need to move on to the next stage. Mm. And then I sort of have to action it in the world and sort of test the waters, I guess. Mm. Which I suppose is a little bit different to, to your approach where you, you've you sort of had that um, support when you were a little bit younger and then your way of um, improving your social skills was sort of going out there mm. and just putting yourself in it. Uh, both Both of them have a lot of holding. I think both of them are very... Both of those ways of going about improving your social skills are important and they can always work for people, but everyone's an individual, you know? Like, oh,
1: yeah. Everyone's, everyone will figure out their own way of developing their social skills.
0: Mm-hmm. You just have uh, to work on it and believe that it will happen.
1: Mm. So uh, one thing that really helped me solidify my social skills as an adult, um, I would by no means recommend this as advice. But, um, being a bartender is, has been one of the things that has really solidified my social skills Mm -hmm. because with, uh, bars, you have people come up, order a drink. It's a very short interaction and you'll cycle through several, several people. And, you know, there are plenty of bartenders that have like their, their joke that they use whenever a new customer comes up to the bar. Um, Mm -hmm. so Obviously, being a bartender is a job that is very socially demanding. So I would not recommend this for anyone that isn't already most of the way there to their social progression. But even if you're a, like, say you're in a bar, watching how other people act in bars is very educational.
0: It's like um, sort of like watching a nature documentary.
1: Oh, yeah, because alcohol being a substance that reduces inhibition, you get to see how people will act under uh, true freedom.
0: Yes. Yeah, so it's easier. I I actually enjoy talking to drunk people. I think they're a lot easier to talk to. (laughs) Do you
1: you think that's maybe part of why you and I started going to parties, as we described, when alcohol was something that could be brought into the mix legally?
0: To some extent, yeah. I think... Nowadays, now that I'm a bit older, I I, I err on the side side of caution with that. I try to go to places and not drink mm. because it's it's good to have the experience of interacting in in sort of a normal setting. I think parties are sort of a, a natural progression to things. I I think if people feel comfortable um, with the environment or the people around you. Just having having one of those two stable sources is quite an important thing.
2: Mm.
0: Going to going to a house that you know, or having a house party yourself, maybe, maybe don't do that. Um, <laughs> 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 even even just if I'm going out somewhere like a like a pub or something, it's if I don't know the pub, it's nice to know someone that's going with me, and vice yeah. versa. If I know the pub, I'll be more likely to feel more comfortable with talking to new people. Mm. I think I think you might have mentioned that a little bit back. Like you said that finding that source of stability is quite important to um, to work from, work out from it.
1: Yeah, something familiar to keep you grounded.
0: Mm. I think that's that's a very important point. It's definitely something that can help you if you do find a lot find yourself with a lot of social anxiety. Or general anxiety it's it can be quite a difficult thing. new stuff, I suppose new new situations and but yeah. you need to be exposed to it in order for you to learn so what parts of social skills do you think will never improve like what can't you work on and what can you work on
1: uh what can't I work on <laughs> um my natural inclination is just to respond with I can work on anything. But um, I would say one of the areas that I have tried to work on but haven't really made lots and lots of progress with is uh, I'm a little bit stubborn and I'm a little bit impulsive. Hmm. Which basically means I'll, I'm the kind of person that will wake up one day and go, I'm going to spend four hours making a meal and then just go do it. <laughs> like. Um, Because I've woken up with that idea, I'll then want to carry it through. Yes. Because why shouldn't I? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think being spontaneous and a little bit headstrong, uh, they are two aspects that I tend to not work on because to an extent, they've actually benefited me in some areas of life Mm -hmm. with being a bit stubborn. Uh, the difference between stubborn and determined is essentially just the difference between the environment you 're in yeah um if you 're if you 've got an idea in your head and no one else agrees you 're stubborn if you push through with it and everyone likes it you 're determined yeah um and the spontaneous uh like the, the impulsive side of my mind uh the spontaneity um it 's really helpful for my creative outlets such as um, science, bartending, uh, martial arts, the impulsive nature of my mind has produced a lot more good than it has bad. Mm-hmm. But I'd say th- those are the two areas that I don't think I'll make a lot of progress on in the next five years.
0: Yeah. In, ter- in terms of things that I don't think I can work on, I think there's there are a few things that sort of float around in my head. It's... Mm-hmm. I can never naturally put myself in someone's shoes, so it's it's always got to be if a if someone tells me something that's important, um, mm-hmm. someone that's close to me, I can't always respond to that with, I can't easily deal with that situation on the spot. It's more of a thing that I have to get, go away from the situation, think about it, and then come back in, and then mm-hmm. tell them my views. So it's it's always been reflective period i don't think i'm ever gonna remove that reflective period okay and i guess yeah i you know sort of competing in in taekwondo and stuff and i guess i would i would say that i'm a little bit headstrong Mm. in general but you know it always it always falls upon you to uh, analyze and, and pick up on things that that just have no chance of changing or at least a very, very slim chance of changing in order for you to like know what you need to do if that makes yeah. sense or just around it, mm. yeah,
1: also, like with these being fundamental aspects of our personalities, yes. to an extent they're not the kind of things that you want to change because that would be changing entirely who you are, and whilst we want to progress, you don't want to lose yourself
0: and I think you you do need to stay true to yourself whether that's an idea in your head of where you want what you want to be or. What people are not considered to be sort of like your natural personality,
2: because
0: yeah. mm. I, think I think the the thing that I struggle the most with, I think that's that's never going to change is that that period of time where you don't spend a lot of time socialising, like right? and then coming back into the social arena, I think it's always a bit of a shock to the system for me. Okay, it's not something that I could just easily slip into. It's something that. I have to work myself up with, you know. It's, I guess you could call it sort of exposure. You know, if you don't have enough exposure to the social environment to, for a while, it's gonna mm. wane a little bit when you when you get back in.
1: Yeah, it's almost like uh, returning to the gym for the first time in a while.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You've got you've got to flex those social muscles. And you've also got to get an idea of of which people in that environment are people that you want to talk to more or interact with more. Mm. I think also that there are the, the general things like you can't really control the, the level of anxiety that you feel in situations. It's more, mm. you, you've got a, a good feel for how anxious you, you may be for the first an hour or two of me going into a social environment. My anxiety is probably at its highest, but then after a while, you start to feel a bit more comfortable in the atmosphere. But then again, that, that's, that's another way of looking at it, you know, another way of adapting around things that you, you can't really control. Yeah. And also eye contact. Like you can't uh, work on, yeah. <laughs> You can work on your eye contact, but it's always gonna be it's always gonna be as uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> I think you know like with that progression it's um with eye contact, particularly with job interviews, uh for my university interview, my body language was actually noted as one of my good points and I was actually surprised at that.
0: Mm. You've got very good body language.
1: And I think the the take-home message from uh, the progression with things like fake it till you make it, and if you don't use it, you lose it. It's more, th- these things will appear forced at the start, and you've just got to do them until they become second nature. Mm. Because eye contact was something that I really, really tried focusing on. And after eight weeks of lockdown, where the only person that I had to look at was my own girlfriend, um, looking someone in the eyes is actually something that I've had to re- retrain myself since I've started my new job.
0: Yeah, exposure in it—it's mm. getting getting used to um, the uncomfortabilities that come with uh, being autistic. I guess it's, mm. and I think it's—it is always there's a lot of sort of media related things and things going around in the autistic community about this thing called masking which is basically as it's described as sort of putting on a personality for people, um, putting on Mm -hmm. sort of a mask. To be honest, I think, of course, if you, if you've been doing that all your life with people that you're close to, then Mm -hmm. that's going to impact your mental health a lot because you're not going to feel like the person that your friends like is actually you. Yeah, I think you can, it's, you can always go back to your roots. Like, the first time that I meet someone, yeah, I probably put on a lot of body language and facial expressions and um, use a lot of the things that I've learned. But after a while of getting to know them and, and they've built a connection with me, then I start to sort of be more comfortable and, and show them a bit more of my personality. Like, I think it's, there's a line between using it as a life philosophy for every single situation ever and using it wisely for, like, things like job interviews and stuff.
1: Yeah, uh, please use responsibly. Um, (laughs) Because masking is definitely not something exclusive to autistics. I mean, uh, uh, the the aspect of um, putting on a front, Mm. that is something that you see throughout society. I mean, especially with with my bartending job. I was bartending in Selfridges in the Trafford Centre in the Mm. middle of Handbag Central, and the number like the people that I was working around were like handbag salesmen for Louis Vuitton, um menswear salesman for um All Saints, stuff like that. These people's jobs is putting on a mask and trying to sell people high end merchandise.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um and when it comes to like a first date in the like in the dating community, I've never seen a first date where someone was like a hundred percent honest on the first date.
0: No, you know, there's there's levels of intimacy, and I think just as mm. conversation gets more intimate, not in that way, of course, but <laughs> <laughs> then things change. You know, like I thought that you know a lot like you at some point, one point that telling people that I was autistic and showing people my oddities would be something that they wouldn't want to deal with or something that they they think was repulsive about me. Mm. But, you know, as you get older, as you start to enter the world of adults, you'll find, of course you'll find arseholes, like <laughs> they're everywhere, but you'll also find people that you can connect with and the right people will stick by you despite you know, the sort of differences that you may exhibit. And it's, you know, to be honest, I think it adds to people's charm as well. Like <clears throat> the world can be a boring place. Having a bit of differences is, is keen. It's good, but brilliant. I think I've got through pretty much all of the questions that I wanted to get through, yeah. which is very good. Would you like to give us three main points or three main things that you want people to take away from the podcast?
1: Yeah, I think um, first one would definitely be, um, as you and I are examples of, um, being autistic is absolutely no limitation on what you can do in this world. It does not prevent you from doing anything that you put your mind to. Number two would be, um, obviously, with what we've talked about with, say, going to social gatherings, making friends. Um, my My second takeaway would be always remember to enjoy yourself because if that's not there, then you'll you'll just be making... So say if you make friends and you don't enjoy hanging around any of them, um, you've essentially just wasted your time and effort. (laughs) So always remember to enjoy yourself. And let's see. Take-home point number three is probably with the the advice that we've generally uh, covered is... Uh, When it comes to making friends, uh, focus on what you enjoy about hanging out together and then form the friendship from there.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much for those. And we've got a last little question for you, which is a very open question and you can answer in any way that you wish. What does autism mean to you, Adam?
1: What does autism mean to me? Um... Autism, to me, uh, represents a challenge that i faced in my younger years. It's something that I was born with um, and something that I've uh, spent a lot of effort trying to uh, get past. And so autism, for me, represents the ability to do anything that I set my mind to because, you know, by all intents and purposes, I was born autistic. I shouldn't be as social as I am. And the fact that I made that progression, it means that I overcame that challenge.
0: Yes. I think that your your response to that is is very very different to a, a lot of people's response to that. And
1: Yeah. <laughs> what I was what were the other responses?
0: <laughs> a lot of it's about sort of being different and 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 all that kind of stuff but i suppose you've you've taken more of the angle of pulling up the deficits of it which i think it it is important to highlight that it does make things difficult like mm. i think that there in my in my view there are a lot of positives to it i think mm. there are a lot of good things about being autistic
1: the high iq really is nice
0: it's it's average or above average so it's slightly slightly increased but i think it does Mm. make us more analytical and logical which i think is always a benefit
1: yeah
0: (laughs) with these mindless people around um these (laughs) days
1: it's it's helpful if it's within the parameters that we're comfortable with
0: Mm. definitely definitely cool very good we've finished all of the questions um Would you like to give out any links that you want to share or any social stuff? Like, completely up to you. You don't have to if you don't want to.
1: (laughs) Uh, To be honest, I'm not a very social media guy. Uh, I have Facebook because I have to. (laughs) Um, And to be honest, being a bartender with no Instagram account uh, it's probably hurt my career more than anything. <laughs> um, but um, I do not have any links to give out. Um, my only thing to say to the public that listens to this is um, stay home, wash your hands, social isolate, uh, social distance, sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do exactly the opposite of what we've been telling you this whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, that's the thing, like, the um <laughs> for the time being, take none of our advice and stay home away from everyone.
0: <laughs> and that's coming from someone who is is working on the front lines to improve the lives of people around the world in this, um, not around the world, in the UK, um, in this crisis. And thank you very much, Adam, for providing us with these testing kits. And I think what you're doing is really great
1: doing the Lord's work that doesn't exist
0: <laughs> if anybody has any questions for you or they want they want to ask you anything would they be all right in sort of contacting me and I can sort of send you them over would that be good uh, yeah sure you
1: can uh, you can hand out my email address if you want
0: well you well, can I hand out your email address if you want or I can um, sort of hand out mine and then send you them if you don't want to give it out publicly.
1: Oh, yeah, good point. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, contacting you first would be a good idea.
0: <laughs> yes, cool. You can contact me at aspergisgrowth at gmail.com. Um, you can send any messages that you have for Adam over there, any questions. And if you want to be on the 4040 po- 40 40 podcast, if you want to be on the 4040 40 podcast, you can always contact me on either my email all my social medias, they're all at Asperger's Growth and very easy to find. So if you've got any questions, if you want to be on the podcast, just send me a message over and I'll try and get back to you as soon as possible. You can find other parts of my work on various different sites, of course, the social medias, but um, primarily the YouTube channel, Asperger's Growth, which I make videos on autism and mental health. Pretty much more of a concise and and one-way version of this podcast i guess i think there's a lot of in- interesting videos on building social skills that would be um very useful um if you're trying to sort of build up your social skills and stuff because i know it can be quite difficult so yeah go over there if you want to check it out and of course big thing that we we'll come here to sort of rep and stuff the documentary asperger's in society you can view it on youtube or you can visit the web page I believe it's com. Very easy to find. So I would be much appreciated if you came on, had a little watch, watched Adam's interviews, of course. Thank you very much for coming on to the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Have you enjoyed it's your... It's been a pleasure. You've, you've enjoyed it. I'm, I'm very glad.
1: <laughs> yes, but it's, honestly, like it's been a podcast recording, but it's actually been quite a nice catch up.
0: Of course, yeah. It's always nice to have a little bit of social communication in these dark times. (laughs) Uh, another another little link in there. (laughs) Stay safe, everybody. As I said, as Adam said, actually, wash your hands, keep socially distancing, don't go out and do any crazy stupid stuff and infect more people, even if you think you're all right.
1: Here's here's a definite parting word. If you're wearing a mask, put it over your nose.
0: (laughs) Have a good day. And I'll see you in the next episode of the Forty Oughty Podcast. See you later. Bye. Wow. You're the first person to actually say bye after I said bye. Thank you very much for that.
1: (laughs) No no one decided they wanted to. Everyone was like, I'll just fade into the background.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Problem is, I don't know when to stop. I don't know how to stop these recordings. (laughs) Let's stop it now. See you later, guys. Bye.